I just had a small monthly payment of $216 every month. And uh, I did the math on it, and I did the math, and I figured out that if instead of buying that car, I had taken that $216 and just invested it in like a 401k or uh, like stock mutual funds, and I had gotten the average rate of return on the stock market, which over the last century is about 10% over the last 100 years. Uh, so if I, if I invested that money, uh, instead of buying the car from the time I was 21 until I was 65 years old, it would be worth roughly at an average rate of return $1.7 million. Uh, not that my 1993 Acura hatchback wasn't sweet, but I'd much rather have the other thing, right? Uh, sometimes with money, not sometimes, maybe almost always with money. It's not always a question of right and wrong, but sometimes, you know, it's a question of wise and unwise. Uh, so let's do this. Who's ever done something money stupid before? Go ahead, don't be shy, you won't be alone. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay, just a few of us have done something uh, money stupid before. The Bible is really full of wisdom from some of the greatest leaders and some of the smartest people that the world has ever seen, uh, including the Son of God. And not surprisingly, it actually has a lot of knowledge for us about how to be money wise. And uh, so that's what we have been talking about. Last week, we started, uh, we started to talk about the most important money principle, and that is this, that biblical money principles are not about money. They're about your heart and they're about your hope. Where's your heart and where's your hope? And the big idea was that God is our provider and money is a resource that he gives us to steward. And so that was the big idea from last week, our heart and our hope. Uh, where is it? That was the question. This week, we're just going to be really practical. What does the Bible say about practically handling my finances? Now, I mentioned last week uh, that one of the things I'm not going to do is ask you for any money. So that's not going to happen. Don't wait for that to come because that's not going to happen. Um, so uh, what I really want to do is just drill down on what does, what does the Bible say? What are the instructions the Bible gives me. It might not sound to some people like a super spiritual topic. Other people, maybe at the other end of the spectrum, might say, um, you know, have the idea that money and uh, material things are essentially bad. Uh, I don't think that's true. Uh, I don't think it's true that money's not spiritual. I don't think it's true that money's bad. I think money is a resource that God gives us to steward. And so I just want to take extra care to learn from God about how uh, I should interact with that resource. Imagine what kind of change a group of people this size, not a, not a massive group, but not, not a small group. We certainly wouldn't fit in anyone's living room. Uh, imagine what a group of people this size, what kind of change they could affect if we just had uh, financial freedom, uh, if we just had financial health. Now, I don't mean like we all were swimming in money. I just mean if we all had financial health, what kind of change could we effect? Uh, how could we impact the world? What if we were in a spot financially where we were just so uh, overwhelmed with gratitude that it just spilled out of us in uncommon generosity to the world around us? The kind of generosity that God has shown us in grace and provision. Uh, I'm not a person who thinks God wants every Christian to be overwhelmingly wealthy. Uh, in some ways, that could actually be really hard on your soul. What I believe is that God wants to sit on the throne of your heart. And because he wants to sit on the throne of your heart, he's actually created a map for us to be financially healthy and have the right relationship uh, with money and finances. And uh, so I borrowed these principles from a guy named Gene Apple. He calls them the Financial Ten Commandments. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to walk through some of these. I think it'll be fun. I think you'll have a good time with it. 
Uh, God bless you. This is the baseline, though. The baseline is if you do it God's way, you'll win. If you do it God's way, you're going to win with money. Uh, now, does that mean you're going to have massive, untold wealth? Uh, no. But it does mean that you're going to have a healthy relationship with it. You're going to have what you need. If you do it God's way, you're going to win. Proverbs 3, chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Okay, so the principle is this. God knows the way. We should follow His lead. In all our ways, submit to Him. So commandment number one, you can fill these in on your card. Uh, I think they're fun. The first one is, you shall work hard. Does that sound fun, right, Anthony? Work hard. Uh, most of the people I know who have significant wealth uh, acquired it at the end of hard work, as the result of hard work. Throughout the Bible, we see the principle of hard work and acquiring resources connected to each other. A verse for you, if you want to write down the address, is Proverbs 28, verse 19. It says, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Uh, if I have the choice between poverty and abundance, I choose abundance. I don't know about you, uh, but those who work their land will have abundant food. Those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Uh, if you look around at people who have financial abundance, you'll generally find that they, that they worked hard for it. Occasionally, you'll find someone who's like on someone else's coattails. Uh, somebody else worked really hard for it. Uh, that's awesome for them. Um, but if you don't have that in your life, which I'm guessing most of us don't, uh, the obvious choice for us is we have to work to acquire. As followers of Christ, uh, we should absolutely be interested in uh, looking out for those who can't meet their own needs. That's what Jesus did for us when he came. He solved a problem that we couldn't solve for ourselves. He died on the cross to meet our need. We should absolutely be on the lookout for that. But 1 Corinthians 13.10 says that uh, when an able person is unwilling to work, it says, neither shall they eat. Uh, that's, that's what it says. Now, if you have kids, you probably taught them this principle. You got to work for uh, the things you want to have. That's, that's a biblical principle. In our society, if you're a person who has a good work ethic and a strong character, you will always have a way to earn a living. Uh, you will always have a way to eat. It's a biblical principle. Uh, you'll always have a means to earn a paycheck. Now, the people I know who've gotten ahead financially worked for it. Commandment number two, you shall not keep up with the Kardashians. Uh, don't do it. Just let them win. Let them have their thing. They got their own little world. It's totally disconnected from the actual world. Just let them go. Let them, let them win. This one is one of the, the financial Ten Commandments that's actually a Ten Commandment, by the way. Uh, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, it says, You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So don't let me catch you coveting your neighbor's donkey, okay? Uh, the principle is coveting is dangerous. Coveting will make your life miserable. This is what coveting is, if you're not familiar with the term. It's when you see something that someone else has and you really want it. You're jealous, you're envious, you're trying to figure out how I can get that, or you're stuck on, well, that's not fair that they got that. Why don't I get that? That's what coveting is. Coveting will cause you to do all kinds of money stupid. Like when someone you know gets to go to the Italian Riviera on vacation, and the only Riviera you get to see is your 1987 Buick Riviera. 
and you're jealous. All you can think is not, oh, how awesome for you that you get to have that great experience. You can think, why don't I get to go to the Italian Riviera, right? That's what coveting is like. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says, better to see, better what the eyes see than the roving of the appetite. That's a really convoluted, weird sentence structure. What it means is better to be satisfied with what's right in front of you than to be constantly chasing what's not right in front of you. Better to be satisfied with what you have, better to want what you have than to be chasing what you don't have. That makes a ton of sense. I'm so thankful that I've been able to reach the place in life where uh, when my friends get nice things, I can be honestly happy for them. This happened to me just the other day. My friend Riley Stansbury got his driver's license and a new car recently. And normally when you send a teenage driver out there on the road, you know, I would make a joke like, hey, look out, new driver. Uh, Riley is the exception to that. You all need to be aware because if you do something wrong, he's going to know. He's going to see. He's actually the last person in this room that I'm worried about being an unsafe driver. Uh, Riley got a Toyota Prius and it's awesome. And I was over at his house the other day and he was pumped up. He was showing it to me. He was excited. I was excited. It was like a little party in the front seat of Riley's Toyota Prius. It was awesome. And I thought, this is so much better than for me to sit here and think, why don't I have a Toyota Prius? That's not fair. How much better is it to just be happy for the people who have things that you don't have? Trying to keep up will make you do money stupid and it will make your attitude really lame. It'll make you miserable. Commandment number three, you shall not impulse spend. Um, When you go to the grocery store and there's like magazines and candy right there at the register, there's a reason, right? Because nobody showed up at the grocery store needing magazines and candy. Uh, No one does. But they put them at the register so that you'll see that headline and think, oh yeah, Donald Trump really is an alien. I should read about that, (laughs) right? That's why they put it there, so that you'll impulse spend. Isaiah 55, verse 2. It says, why spend money on what is not bread? and labor on what does not satisfy. Why spend your hard-earned resources on things that are not gonna satisfy you? That's a valid question. Uh, we've all done it for sure. Uh, man, I, I, we've all done it for sure. Uh, for many people, this is what happens though. Um, when you're bored, or you're lonely, or you're discouraged, I just need a little pick-me-up. I'm just gonna hit the mall, I'm just gonna head over to Amazon, one touch, boom, I got a little something new to, to get me excited. Uh, you go to the website and you're like, Amazon one-day one sale. I do need a zebra-striped onesie. <laughs> no, you don't. Amazon one-touch is not your friend. Amazon one-touch is the shareholder's friend. Uh, but isn't that easy? Isn't that just an easy way to get me a little pick-me-up? Unfortunately, impulse spending will destroy your financial future. If you make a habit out of that, it will be terrible for you. There's an old saying that says, if you mind your pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. Uh, impulse spending will make that impossible. Because, you know, that zebra stripe onesie, I mean, it's only 10 bucks. Yeah, but 10 bucks times a pattern of impulse spending is going to add up, and it will destroy your financial future. Commandment number four, you shall create a budget. Come on, man, that's not in the Bible. Au contraire. Proverbs 21, verse 25. It says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. Uh, The ESV says, plans of the diligent lead to abundance. Now, that that particular Hebrew word can kind of go either way. 
The plans of the diligent lead to abundance or profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Plans lead to abundance. Lack of plans lead to poverty. What leads to abundance? Plans, a budget in this case. So it turns out that God created a cause and effect world. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but uh, for every decision you make, there's an outcome to that decision. Uh, if you do smart things, you're generally going to get smart outcomes, generally. Now, of course, there's always the times when outside forces uh, intervene. That's going to happen. But in general, if you do smart things consistently, you're going to have smart results. Uh, if you do stupid things consistently, you're going to have less than smart results. Have a plan, work the plan, and there will be ups and downs. But if you have a plan and work the plan, you're going to give yourself the best chance for good results, the best chance to end up somewhere that you want to be. Now, uh, I want to help you out with this because I had a mental shift that really helped me here. Some people think of a budget as a restriction. I can't spend. I'm reining it in. I like to think of it actually as a permission giver uh, because the budget actually tells you what you can spend. Uh, our son, our, with our kids, we do this little plan that's been around forever called 10-10-80, right? And uh, when they get money, they save 10%, they give 10%, uh, and then the other 80%, you live on it. Now, they have no financial obligations, so for them, living on it, you know, generally means ridiculousness, but, but if they do this plan consistently for the rest of their life, they'll never have to worry about money. Our little guy, our youngest, Ezra, he's 10, he's super dedicated to this. If he gets money in a birthday card, a $20 bill, he immediately makes change, gets it all situated where it needs to go, and as a result, he always has money. So like the other day, he went to the pool with a friend. And I said, uh, hey, take some, take some cash with you, take some money so you can get something at the snack bar, right? So we do the checklist, you got your sunscreen, you got your towel, blah, blah, blah. How much money did you take? $137. <laughs> because he just went and like just grabbed his discretionary money. Like you can buy a lot of candy still with $137. Uh, not as much as probably when I was a kid, uh, but, but he just works the plan. He just has a plan, works it, and he always has money for the things that he wants, even at 10 years old. Okay, so your money's going to go somewhere. Better to tell it where to go than to wonder where it went. The plans of the diligent lead to profit or abundance, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Uh, I just give you a quick tool if you've never done a budget. Uh, there's an app. Uh, it's sponsored by the Dave Ramsey Group. It's called Every Dollar. Uh, you can download that on your phone. Millions of people use it. Really, really easy to work with. So just a little tool for you. Commandment number five. You shall honor God first. Uh, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. The term first fruits uh, is used oftentimes in uh, the Bible. It refers to the first tenth of your income. Sometimes it's used synonymously with the word tithe, uh, which actually means in English, it actually means tenth or one tenth. Uh, now the principle goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. You're familiar with Cain and Abel. They were Adam and Eve's sons. Uh, Abel was awesome. Cain turned out to be kind of a jerk. But what happened was, where it really went bad for him was that uh, they both brought offerings to God and God received Abel's offering and was pleased with it, but he was displeased with Cain's offering. Now, what was the difference? The difference was, if you read the story, is that Abel brought his first and best to God. Cain brought what he had left over when he got around to it, to God. And that's why God was pleased with Abel's heart, really, and not with Cain's. Now, 
Uh, of course the pastor is going to say this, right? Of course the pastor is going to talk about tithing. Uh, so I'll just tell you in the context of my own household, uh, this is the first and best, most important uh, financial decision that Brandy and I have ever made is to honor God first. Um, and it doesn't even really matter for us what the math is, like tithe, bills, groceries, this is our number. It doesn't even matter. The tithe is gone. Everything else, the math starts after the tithe is gone. Um, and that has for us been the most important thing that we've ever done financially. And here's why. Here's my conviction about that. I'm, I believe easily, I'm convinced of this, that God can do more with 90% of my income than I can do with 100%. Like that's, not, that's not hard to believe uh, for me. Um, it's a little biblical principle known as sowing and reaping. Uh, in fact, it's such a commonly accepted principle that most people don't even know that it's from the Bible. You reap what you sow. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 6, 38. He said, give and it will be given to you. Deuteronomy 14, 22 teaches that the purpose of tithing, now you might think the purpose of tithing is to support the church or to support this thing or that, but it actually teaches us in Deuteronomy 14 that the purpose of tithing is to teach us to always rely fully on God. That's actually why he created the tithe, so that we would revere him and rely on him as God. Uh, so that's what we do. We honor God by giving the first tenth of every paycheck in our household. Commandment number six, uh, you'll like this one, pay yourself second. Honor God first, pay yourself second. Uh, you don't want to be like the guy when you get to, you know, you're all young and beautiful right now, but that's not going to last forever. You don't want to be like the guy who got to old age and said, I have plenty of money for the rest of my life as long as I don't live past next Thursday. Right? That's not a position that any of us wants to live in. Thankfully, we're in a society where uh, we have accounted for that in the form of Social Security and some other things, but, um, but better to take charge of it. Uh, biblical principles will work. When you choose in advance what you're going to spend your money on, uh, you remove the likelihood of impulse spending. Uh, we teach our kids, like I said before, the 10-10-80 plan, really simple, give 10, save 10, spend 80. Um, our youngest is like all over this, uh, as, I, as I mentioned. Um, as time goes by in their life, you know, their expenses are going to get more complex, right? The adults, you totally, you totally know that. Um, and also their savings and investment, those things will all get more complex. But as time goes by, the principle will work. They'll win with money just by following the simple principle. And part of that is making sure to save, to pay yourself. Uh, an obvious objection might be, though, uh, I can't save right now. Have you ever felt yourself in that position? I can't save right now because money is just really, really tight. Um, I've been there. I've, I've felt that for sure. I totally understand that. But good news, you don't have to have a lot of money in order to accumulate in your life. This is what Proverbs 13.11 says. It says, whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Uh, did you know that most of the millionaires in America don't live in mansions behind gated walls and drive Ferraris? Uh, very, very few of them, uh, like athletes, rappers, and celebrities. Those are the only ones. Uh, the rest of them, uh, that's not how they live. Most of them live in middle-class houses and drive the same car that they saved up and paid cash for several years ago. Uh, that's how most of the millionaires in America 
lived. Um, so I just, I'm just kind of find this type of thing interesting. So humor me a little bit here. Uh, how many of you are under the age of 30? It's a pretty substantial percentage of this particular church. Um, a couple of you raise your hand and I know you're not in that category. Uh, under the age of 30. Okay, so let's just say I, I mentioned my $1.7 million car earlier. Um, let's just say you're 30 years old, okay? Uh, and you invested $100 a month, so $3 a day. Uh, I'd have you raise your hand to see who spends more than that on coffee in a day, but that's most of us. That's a large percentage of us anyway. If you just invested $3 a day until you turned 65, from 30 until 65, and you got an average rate of return uh, from the stock market on those investments uh, over a long period of time, you would have paid in $42,000. That's how much you would have paid in. But you would also have earned back a dividend or an interest of $344,000 for a total of $386,000. Not bad, huh? Not bad for a pretty reasonable amount uh, of investment. How many of you are zillennials? Let's just say who's under 20? We got, uh, we got a few of you in here. Yeah, keeping your hands nice and low so no one will see you in true zillennial fashion. Proud of you. Uh, if when you turn, Andy liked that one. If when you turn 18, you started doing the same thing, okay, you got a job, you're gonna, you're gonna save up $100 every month, and you did that until you were 65. And uh, what you're gonna find out in, when you get there is that $100 is actually not that much money. It doesn't go very far. It's totally manageable for you. You saved $100, $100 per month. By the time you're 65, you'd have $1.3 million. It turns out, that whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Uh, turns out somebody already knew that a long time ago and there's tons of wisdom in the scripture for that. But there's, but there's another reason. Uh, have you ever had a financial emergency that made you panic? How am I gonna pay for that? Uh, the car broke down, I wasn't planning on that, I was gonna use that money for this. Uh, a financial emergency has probably made all of us panic at some point, maybe a health issue. Uh, if you have an emergency fund, you know what you do with that financial emergency? You turn it into an inconvenience, which is a lot better than an emergency. If I'm gonna have an emergency or an inconvenience, I'll choose the inconvenience. Uh, the car won't start. It goes from emergency to inconvenience. The fridge quit working. Was an emergency, but thankfully, I was prepared, so now it's just an inconvenience. So be serious about saving, and you'll position yourself to eliminate the stress of everyday problems. Uh, and if there's anything I could do with money, it would be eliminate stress. But you'll also be in position to be generous with the people and the things that you care about. And someday, if you are diligent about that, you too can retire and you can join Brandy and I at Denny's to have whatever you want off the seniors menu. <laughs> we'll be living it up down there. Uh, probably up in Colville, that's what I'm thinking. Commandment number seven. Colville? No, okay. Uh, you shall eliminate debt. Wouldn't that just be amazing? Uh, I know that for many people, the idea of being out of debt is just, it's so far out of reach that it's like, I'll never get there. Uh, not going to worry about it right now. I can't even think about it. Uh, let me just start with this caveat and say, if you're young and you have no debt, fight like crazy to keep it that way. Save yourself the trouble. Uh, some people will, will maybe disagree and argue the point that debt can be leveraged to kind of get a quick return on investment, and I, I get that. But here's what God says, Proverbs 22, 7. It says, the borrower is slave to the lender. 
Uh, I'm not a genius, but I don't like the sound of that. And if you've been there, you know, yeah, there's, there's truth to that, right? It can definitely feel that way. Uh, many of us know the feeling of being buried under debt. Uh, the feeling of being able to barely make minimum payments and wondering, how am I ever going to get out of this? You know, like the, the principle just never gets smaller. Now, being in debt is not a sin, but as you know, it can be a real life sucker. Uh, it really can suck the joy out of your day in a hurry. Uh, in some instances, it can be leveraged for appreciating assets like buying a home for sure. Uh, but most of the time when we borrow money, it's not for something like that. Most of the time when we borrow money, what we're actually doing is we're borrowing from our future to pay for the past. Remember that vacation that swiped on the credit card? That's gone. But guess what's not gone? The bill. Uh, borrowing from your future to pay for your past is a bummer. Uh, it really, really is. So listen, if you're caught up in the debt trap, uh, I guess the silver lining might be you got a lot of friends in our society. Uh, you're certainly not alone. It doesn't make you stupid. It doesn't make you irresponsible. It means you are where you are. Let's find a way to go forward. Uh, if that's you, um, I totally get that that can be discouraging. And so um, I, wanna, I want you to do something for me. If that's you and you're thinking, I, I'm ready to just move on from this. I'm ready to be done with debt. I'm ready to do the work, to get out and leave it behind me. I want you to take your Connect card. If that's you, the one with the, the picture of the school on the front, write your name and your contact info on there and just say, I'm ready to get out of debt. And we just want to send you some resources that can help you get pointed in the right direction. And what I would say to that is, if you're still alive, it's not over for you. Uh, don't give up on this one. You can get out. Uh, you can be free from it. I don't want you to be a slave. We have an expression uh, here, a phrase that we use called plan A. It's the idea that God has a plan A for your life. He has a, a first plan for your family. And one of them is being free from the weight of debt, for sure. Commandment number eight, you shall get good counsel. Uh, this one I find really, really fascinating. Sociological studies tell us that statistically, most people, the overwhelming majority of people in America, tend to stay in the same socioeconomic situation that they were born into their entire life. Uh, for the overwhelming majority of people, very few people rise socioeconomically, and a very small percentage of people decline socioeconomically. Uh, and there's some good reasons, primarily because we adopt the same attitudes and behaviors in adulthood that we learned in our childhood. And so when it comes to finances, uh, if you weren't raised or exposed to someone who taught you how to handle money in a biblical manner, you're just going to do what you saw. Now, that's what we all do. When we don't know what to do, we do what we know to do. We emulate those who've been around us. Proverbs 20 verse 18 says, plans are established by seeking advice, uh, aka asking for help. This is where pride comes in. This can be a really, really tough one. Uh, a couple years ago, I asked a friend of mine who is A, a fully devoted follower of Christ, and B, winning with money, uh, if he would just sit down with me and give me his opinion on our financial situation. And he was like, dude, I can't believe you're such an idiot. This is stupid. I don't have time for this. I'm just kidding. Well, he didn't say that. Uh, he, was, he was glad to do it. My experience has been that successful people are excited to share what they know with people who will put it to work. Uh, if, you, if you want to learn from someone, uh, the chances of them saying, heck no, I don't have time for you, are almost zero. Uh, the only reason they would say that is if they actually don't have time 
to do it. Uh, listen, if you don't have a plan, the best thing you can do is just admit it. I just, I don't have a plan. If you're in financial trouble, you are where you are. Admit that. That's the best thing you can do. That's hard on the pride. Uh, but the only thing I could do that's more money stupid is than wasting money is to be too prideful to ask for help. Uh, that's actually true of pretty much everything in life, uh, not just finances. Successful people generally consider it a privilege to offer their input. So find somebody you know who has good character, loves Jesus, and knows how to handle money, and say, listen, will you give me your input? Seek advice. Commandment number nine, you shall leave a legacy. There's a parable in Luke chapter 12 uh, where Jesus warns a man who is uh, not just wealthy, it's not about him being wealthy, he is consumed by money. In verse 15, uh, they're, they're talking, Jesus says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Not be on guard against wealth, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Um, do you know anyone who doesn't have a lot of money but they're still greedy? Okay, has nothing to do with volume. Jesus said, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He warns him against greed. And then he tells a story of a rich man who has spent his life successfully amassing wealth for himself, for his own purposes. And in verse 20, he says, it says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Every one of us is going to come to the end of our life someday. I hope that's not news to you. I hate for you to find that out here. Uh, but that's going to happen. And I know people both rich and poor by our standards who are building a legacy of generosity. I know people who have very little who are extremely generous with it. Um, our behavior with our finances, it tells the world who God is to us. It tells the world who God is to me. Do I believe that God is a good provider? Uh, do I believe that God is not going to take care of me and I got to look out for myself? Uh, the way I handle finances tells the world. And there's this old parable. It's not, it's not in the Bible. Actually, I don't even know where it kind of came from. I've just heard it from a few different places. Um, it's this idea that uh, the most successful, greatest people in the world are the people who plant trees that future generations will sit under the shade of. And Brandy and I, we were talking about this last night. Uh, what would it be like for your great, great, great grandchildren who you'll never see, they'll never know you, they'll never say thank you to you, to be able to sit under the shade of a tree that you planted? Uh, that's incredible stuff. That's an amazing, amazing life. So uh, leave a legacy. Commandment number 10, the last one, the most important one, you shall trust God. All the others flow from this. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. All the other principles work together to improve your financial situation. This one will change your life in every way. Do you believe that God will provide for you? If the answer is yes, there's a certain set of behaviors that comes from that. If the answer is no, I don't think God will provide for me, there's a set of behaviors that comes out of that. It genuinely surprises me how many people I know who trust God in their parenting, uh, they trust God in their marriage, they even trust God in their eternal destiny, but not in their financial situation. Uh, ironic that it's probably the least important, it's probably the easiest of all those potential problems to solve. Uh, you don't have to live with tiny confidence in a big God, especially in the area of your finances. Uh, you can change that situation 
just starting right here today. And that really brings us back to the big idea at the very beginning, the most important thing, that biblical money principles are not about money, they're about your heart, and they're about your hope. There was a story recently in the New York Times uh, about a, uh, an NFL football player named Adrian Peterson. He's still in the NFL. He's one of the few who's been able to somehow like, have a really lengthy NFL career. And to date, he has made almost exactly $100 million uh, in NFL contracts. Contracts, not including uh, endorsements, which probably are substantial. Um, and just recently, he filed bankruptcy. Um, and uh, so that's like, wow, for most of us, it's like, how does that, like, how is that even like a thing? How is that possible? Um, and I was, I heard Dave Ramsey, some of you guys know Dave Ramsey, I was listening to his show, his podcast, and uh, he was talking about this particular situation, and he said this phrase that is very, like, candid, because he's always candid, sometimes even too much, to the point where it's like, oh, I'd have said it a little nicer. But what he said was so true uh, in terms of uh, our finances. He said, you can't out-earn stupid. You can't out-earn bad decision-making. Um, you know, it's kind of a harsh way to say it, a really candid way, but it's, but it's true. Um, have you ever found that um, you made this much and your standard of living was kind of the same, your financial situation was kind of the same, and then you made a little more and like the debts just sort of like moved along to like match it? Uh, most Americans, as we earn more, we take on more debt. I think the wisest and most God-honoring thing we can do with our finances is just to say, okay, Lord, you're smarter than me. You know the way. You own it all anyway. I'm just going to trust you enough to do it your way instead of thinking that I know better than you. And then I'm going to follow your lead instead of following my own impulse and just hoping it'll work out. Because uh, your money's going to go somewhere. Better to tell it where to go. Better to acknowledge, God, you know better than I do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow your lead instead of just hoping that it works out. Now, for all of us to have a better financial future... Uh, will require some undoing of our current situation. Uh, there's a lady named Danielle Strickland. She says, you can't change the future without disrupting the present. And that's the sticking point for most of us. Because uh, changing our patterns of behavior uh, is not always easy. But the future can't be improved without disrupting the present. Okay, but winning with money, it won't be easy. That's just reality. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But God has given you a map in his word. He's given you his presence, his spirit to be your guide. And he's given you a church family to be your companions. You can do it. So I want to pray for our financial situation. I hope you really consider uh, the financial Ten Commandments. Chances are some of them are probably going really strong in your life. And uh, some of them maybe not so much. Uh, but I hope you'll just pray about those and see how God would direct you in that regard. Lord, thank you so much that you are an abundant provider. And uh, really your goal is to sit on the throne of our hearts. And so, God, we want to just uh, reorient ourselves to make sure that that's where you are. Lord, I pray that you would make us into a group of people who would win with money by following your lead so that we could point to how good you really are to us. In Jesus' name. Amen.